Good morning, beloved. Uh, well, this morning we're in Daniel 9. I'm the 70th week of Daniel. Ooh, 70th week of Daniel. We'll be looking at um, verses 20 to 27. I'm not going to focus on Daniel's prayer, which precedes the answer to that prayer, because I did teach that in our Theology and Application of Prayer series. It's on our website if you're interested. So we're only going to have time to cover this very, I believe, simple to understand, more simple than people make it to be. So let's pray, and I'll read it, and then we'll take a look at what's before us. Father God, um, we are always in need of your help, your direction, um, enlightenment, understanding. So we pray as we come before you this morning, um, refresh us, strengthen us, forgive me of my sins before I begin to teach this, your word, cleanse me, bless us as your people, help me to clearly communicate for your glory and the good of your people. In Christ's name, amen. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision, and prophesy, and to anoint the most holy. Places italicized. So, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and sanctuary. That's a different prince, by the way. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he, Messiah, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. This ends the reading of God's word. Uh, Verses 21 to 27 come to Daniel as a response to his prayer recorded in verses 1 through 20, a prayer that came through his understanding of Scripture. He reads it. He understands that the prophecy of Jeremiah, um, he understands through reading that the Babylonian captivity and the exile 
um, that was to last 70 years is coming to its end. Notice verse 2, Daniel 9. In the first year of his reign, Darius, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Look then at Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11 on the screen. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Jeremiah 29, 10. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Verse 14, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So these promises um, are the driving force behind Daniel's prayer in the first part of chapter 9. So he had given himself notice to intercessory prayer on behalf of Israel, confessing Israel's sin, confessing his own sin in verses 4 through 7, acknowledging the justice of God's judgment in the 70-year captivity, grounding his prayer, by the way, grounding his prayer for forgiveness and restoration based on God's covenantal, steadfast love and mercy, the God of promise. The God of covenantal promise is the God of covenantal fulfillment. And then in verses 21 to 27 is God's response to that prayer. He sends Gabriel, Gabriel, um, obviously in human form, Gabriel the man. This is Gabriel the angel in the form of a man to give a revelation to Daniel of a period of time. Seventy sevens, or 70 weeks, that is, 77-year periods. This, beloved, is one of the foremost texts in the Old Testament, the focus of which is, the focus of which is Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the focus of verses 20 to 27. And that is regarding when he will come and what he will accomplish. Again, the Lord Jesus Christ is the locus of focus in the answer to this prayer. So these prophecies include the time between the captivity, that is the time that Judah was taken off into exile, the time between then and the coming of Messiah, that is the first coming of Jesus Christ, not the second coming. That is the historical, biblical, prophetic focus of the book of Daniel. It's not a focus on the second coming of Christ. First. Now we saw this in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, did we not? Chapter two. We saw that in the vision of chapter seven tracing four Gentile world kingdoms, beginning with Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and then Rome, the fourth kingdom. And then in chapter 2, the stone cut out of a mountain without hands 
crushes the image, and then that stone grows into a mountain that covers the earth, that is the kingdom. That is now. In chapter 7, we see that the Son of Man ascended into the clouds to receive from the Ancient of Days, God the Father, a kingdom, power and authority over that kingdom. That's now. And then here, these 70 weeks, these 70 weeks of years ought to be approached from the very same perspective, not another perspective, that which we have already seen from the end of captivity until Messiah, 70. Now, the number 70 um, is not um, some arbitrary number. You know, God gave the Jews um, a week of years just as he gave them um, a week of days. Not only was there a Sabbath day once a week, there was also um, a Sabbath year when every seventh year they were commanded to let the land, what? Rest, to lay fallow every seven years. So their whole life was governed by, you know, a cycle of seven. You have a Sabbath day, you have a Sabbath year. If you go read Leviticus chapter 25 later on today, you will see that the Jews were very familiar um, with sabbatical years. They also had what was called the year of Jubilee, counting seven Sabbaths, seven Sabbaths of years, seven Sabbath years equaling 49, where on the 49th, they would proclaim, proclamation would be given that the next year is the year of liberty. Hint, hint. The year of liberty. Forgiving people of their debts. Setting slaves free. Restoring people back to their family home, their ancient family homes. The year of jubilee. Now, Israel had failed to keep um, her sabbatical years, and that's the reason why the captivity lasted 70 years. Okay, look, if you will, at 2 Chronicles 36, verse 20. Those who had escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon. And they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of what? Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. So, violating 70 Sabbath years equaled 490 years. That's a long time. To get an idea of that time is to understand the extent or the time period of the monarchy from Saul, the first king, through David and all of her kings. That's a long time. So each year of captivity represented one seven-year cycle that Israel failed to keep the sabbatical year. It's 490 divided by seven equals 70. 70 years of captivity. Now, he reveals a new period of 490 years that is to come. 490 years that is to come, according to the promises of God, a new period of 77s. And this is a focus 
on what God is going to do to redeem, to bless, and restore his people, which is entirely by grace. Salvation has always been by grace. And he will bring them into the ultimate year of Jubilee when Messiah comes. The ultimate year of liberty for the captives. That is the coming of Messiah through his finished work. So here's Daniel. He's praying for restoration. Restoration for his people. Restoration for Jerusalem. Restoration for the temple. And he's given far more than he asks for, is he not? By way of this vision. Verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. That is seven periods of seven. Seventy periods of seven equaling 490 years. Now, many commentators, they understand that 77s to be a literal period of 490 years. And indeed, very close to that, Messiah arrived. But it's difficult to know whether or not we are to literally take this time reference. Because if you think about it, are we considering um, lunar years or, or solar years? Are we considering 365 days of years or 360 days of years? Precise dating, therefore, is difficult, but, however, is unnecessary. Precise dating is unnecessary. Seven and 70 are both numbers in the Bible of completeness. Completeness. So, it may be better to understand these numbers as they're multiplied together as representing the ultimate in completeness. 490. You remember what Jesus said to Peter when he said, what, must I forgive my brother when he sins against me seven times? And Jesus said, I say not to you seven, but seven times, times, 70. 70 times seven. He didn't mean a literal 490 times. For on the 491st time, you don't forgive. If he did that with us, I'd be doomed. I, I, I'm probably forgiven, you know, that many times in a day. So God could simply be saying that he will solve the problem of sin in the fullness of time. 490 years. All of which is ultimately dependent upon this, the promised one, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, in whom I should say, all the promises of God find their yes and amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. In him, prophecy and prophet unite. He is God's last word, Hebrews 1. Jesus, the last word word, the temple of the living God. Hint. But still, it is interesting to note here that the 69 weeks, that is 62 plus 7, okay, that equals 69. 62 plus 7, that's 69. 69 sevens, that's 483 years. 
And between the decree by Cyrus to rebuild the temple in Daniel's day and the cutting off of the anointed one, Jesus correspond roughly to the time period between the Jews' return under Cyrus and the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing, really. This is the promise of Ezra 1. Look at it. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. So there's, there's this decree. So this period of 70 weeks is broken up, beloved, into three segments. Three segments. You have a segment of seven, seven weeks, seven sevens, 49, if you're counting. You have a segment of 62 weeks, and then one week. One week. A one-week segment at the end, a final week being set apart from all the rest, the 70th week. So that one week, verse 27, also takes place at the same time as the events of verse 24. Hint, hint. In other words, friends, there is no gap. Follow me. There is no gap. The last week is not a gap. Now, I say that because many in our day understand Daniel 9 is a map to the end of world history. Many of you came up with this kind of teaching. Those influenced by dispensationalism have been taught that the latter part of Daniel 9 serves as a guide to the final seven years of history. The seven years of history, that's what they teach. And that the 70th week has not yet happened. That's what they teach. We'll see through this text, through simple reading of the text, it's already happened. They teach that Daniel supposedly sees a time, the final week of 70 weeks, when Israel, in an area where the Dome of the Rock currently sits, are worshiping in a rebuilt literal physical temple, and at or about that time, the Gentile church is secretly removed from this earth by what's known as a secret rapture, a stealth rapture. Marking the so-called seven-year great tribulation during which Antichrist, this is what they teach, during which Antichrist makes a covenant with Israel turns on them and turns on their temple after a period of three and a half years in literal Jerusalem. Have you ever heard that? You've been taught that. Leading to the final battle known as Armageddon, which culminates with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, who then sits on a political throne for a literal thousand years in literal Jerusalem. That's referred to as pre millennialism, that Jesus comes before the millennium rather than understanding it as Christ ascended and the millennium is now. 
the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. He initiated it, and he will consummate it. He inaugurated it when he came. He'll consummate it when he comes again, as we teach here. This is now the kingdom. So, question, is Daniel speaking of a future antichrist who makes a firm covenant with Israel, or is Daniel instead speaking of the Christ who makes covenant with the many? With the many for whom he redeems. Verse 27, who is it? Is it Christ or is it Antichrist? Somebody's wrong. Notice, by the end of this 77s, six things take place in verse 24. Take a look. Transgression will be finished. Sins will be brought to an end. Atonement will be made for iniquity. Everlasting righteousness is established. Number five, vision and prophecy will be sealed. That is their truth. The truth of prophecy will be confirmed in its fullness. Hmm. And number six, the most holy will be anointed. Friends, those are all prophecies of the work of Christ alone. Alone. Verse 25. So, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, friends, that means from Daniel's day, okay, until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. In other words, 69 weeks if you're counting 483 years. At the end of which... Messiah will be among you. That's what Gabriel's saying. Okay? After this, after the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks in 62, that's 69. Remember, God decreed in his providence, I should say in his sovereignty, he decreed that by way of his providence, this King Cyrus, this King Cyrus, would make a decree for the temple in Jerusalem in Daniel's day to be rebuilt. Amen? All right. Verse 25. It will be built again with plaza and moat, that is, with street and wall. It will be rebuilt, even, notice, in times of distress. What a statement that is to the story of Nehemiah. Remember Sam Ballot and Tobias who stood against the rebuilding of the wall? Opposing them was Tobiah. Sam Ballot and Tobiah. So the temple was rebuilt. It was accomplished, finished in the first seven weeks, i.e. 49 years. So again, there's no need to calculate specific numbers. Um, I believe most of this is just symbolic, but the reality of Christ's arrival um, is still, uh, we stand amazed. Okay, that's the first segment, the rebuilding of that temple. Next segment, verse 25. Until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks, that, which we just looked at, and 62 weeks. That's 69. 
the most holy, Jesus will be anointed then. I believe that the anointing is the Lord's baptism. The Messiah, the prince, comes. The Holy One is anointed. Do you remember when he commenced his public ministry and he's baptized there in the Jordan? And Father, the Father speaks from heaven, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Right there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is anointed, empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out his public mission. The next day, the next day, John the Baptist cried out, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So notice, to anoint the most holy place, you'll see that's italicized or there's a footnote in your Bible, can also be the holy thing or the holy one. So think about the holy of holies. Think about the literal physical structure, the tabernacle, all of its furniture was consecrated by God, anointed by careful ritual, amen? Yes, just say yes, that's the Old Testament, it's very clear. These things were anointed, these things were set apart, and how do these things find their fulfillment? The temple, the tabernacle, and all the furniture within, they find their fulfillment in Christ. I'm the temple of the living God. Tear down this temple, in three days I'll raise it up again. This is Jesus who came to fulfill all that the Holy of Holies represented. And here he is on earth and he's anointed by the Holy Spirit to carry out the mission. Messiah, the Prince, appeared, friends, marking the end of the 69th week. Are you with me? He arrives and that marks the end of the 69th week, which begins the, which week? The 70th. It begins, the 70th week commences. Notice verse 26. Then after, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. So seven and 62, after that, after the seven, after the 62, after the rebuilding of the temple in Daniel's time, or just after Daniel's time, then after the 69, Messiah appears. After those 62 weeks, he's cut off. Which means a violent death. And he has nothing. That is, he has no one. You know, in the Messianic Psalm regarding Jesus and his suffering, Psalm 69, we read this. I looked for sympathy. I looked for comforters. I found none. None. Alone. Immediately after the 62 weeks end, plus seven is 69. After those 69 weeks, Messiah is cut off. That is, he died a substitutionary death. Amen? He died a substitutionary death, verse 24, making an atonement, providing everlasting righteousness. It is Jesus who was cut off as a means in part to accomplishing the six things that we see in verse 24, which brings 70 weeks, friends, which brings 70 weeks to its fulfillment. There's no gap. 
Okay, if you're reading the text and you read 69 weeks, okay, you read 62, and then there's 69. What comes after 69? 70. 70 weeks. It's very simple. I say that because dispensationalism teaches a gap that begins in verse 26 and they claim is still going on. It's still going on. That 70th, 70th week has not yet arrived. They teach. It's future. Question, friends, do you see a gap there? If you were to pick up the Bible and read this text, would you conclude that there's a gap? No, you would not. No way would you conclude a gap unless, unless you have a presupposition about a system that you impose on the text. If you have a presupposition which you pose upon the text, it can conclude anything you want. Simply picking up and reading this text, a 70th week period, after that 69 weeks, this one week spoken of in the next verse, you naturally suppose what? We're in the 70th week. The 70th week. So dispensationalists, you see, must have a gap to fit their system. It's fantasy. It's fantasy. So they highlight a delay of this, the 70th week. They create a secret rapture out of it. Okay, they designate it as a seven-year great tribulation, and they absolutely shred the context of Jesus' teaching in the Olivet Discourse, which almost all of which has to do with the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, in two verses regarding the second coming. They claim that during the last seven years of history, a yet future 70th week, okay, follow me on this, this is what they claim. They claim that during that time, the little horn of Daniel 8, verse 9, that we studied last week, is an end-time antichrist who holds sway, who has authority at that time. And then they teach, halfway through, he persecutes God's people for three and a half years, and they take from Daniel 7.25, which reads, for a time, times, and half a time. Okay, let's pause. What have we seen thus far in our study of Daniel? The little horn of chapter 8 is not the same little horn as chapter 7. Amen? They're not the same. They deduce that they are the same, and they somehow make it out to be an end-time antichrist, but that's impossible. That's impossible if you simply read the text. In chapter 7, the little horn arises out of which beast? The fourth, which is Rome. We conclude that represents the Caesars. In chapter 8, the little horn arises out of the third kingdom, which is Greece. Greece. A small horn, we read, that arises in the latter days of the kingdom of Greece, not the latter days at the end of time. And we concluded, historically, that that little horn is Antiochus Epiphanes. 
verses 26 and 27, tell us what happened after the 70 and the 62, which equals 69. After 69 comes the 70th week. Two things happen in the 70th week. Number one, Messiah dies for others. Okay, after the 62 and 7, he's cut off. 62 and 7, that's 69. On the 70th week, Messiah's cut off. He's crucified. That's one thing that happens in the 70th week. The second thing that happens is the dis- destruction of Jerusalem and its temple. Those things, the destruction, is determined in the 70th week. Verse 26. And the people of the prince, that's not Messiah prince, the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are, here's the key word, determined. That, my friends, verse 26, is a parenthetical phrase. Right there. The religious Jews cut off their Messiah. The people cried out what? Crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? What'd they say? We have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. This judgment, verse 26, is a determined judgment that comes in the 70th week. History is clear. The Roman armies, led by Titus, we believe is this prince, led by Titus, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple in 70 AD. The people of Israel at that time were driven out to the ends of the earth in the great dispersion. That desolation is determined. It was determined in the 70th week. Remember what Jesus foretold of? Luke chapter 21, verse 20, he uses language taken directly from Daniel 9, verse 26. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know its desolation has come near. Matthew 24, 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet who? Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Which reader? The reader of Daniel in Jesus' day. Not you. The reader of Daniel, Matthew wasn't written yet. The gospels weren't circulated yet. Jesus is preaching outside of the temple and he's teaching with regard to known as the Olivet Discord that This desolation spoken of by Daniel, when you see it standing in the holy place, let the reader of Daniel Old Testament understand. What temple is he referring to? A future temple or the temple standing then at that time? The temple standing then at that time. What Daniel foretold of in verse 26, its end will come, notice, with a flood, Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations determined. Determined. That is fulfilled by the Roman siege 
against Jerusalem in AD 70 with horrific accuracy. All you have to read is Joseph, Josephus' Jewish Wars. It's grotesque what happened in 70 AD. Next, Messiah, Messiah will confirm his covenant, verse 27. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. Hey, friends, this passage is talking about the central person of the vision, the Christ, not Antichrist. He is confirming his covenant. Friends, that means he's ratifying it. He ratifies his covenant, literally means to make it strong, causing that covenant to prevail. What did Jesus say in the upper room with his disciples hours before the cross? This is my blood of the covenant poured out for many. For many. This is confirmation of the Abrahamic covenant. This is, confirm, this, this is confirmation of the Davidic covenant covenant, i.e. fulfillment of the new covenant, which is a better covenant. With the many for one week. The word for is not in the original. It simply reads, he shall confirm the covenant one week. That is the 70th. The 70th. That is in this one week time frame of the 70th week of Daniel, he confirms the covenant. He consummates that covenant. So what we have is a seven, 62, and one. He commits it in the final week by way of his death and resurrection. The 70th week, it's not future. There's no gap. Final thing we see, verse 27. In the middle of the week, in the middle of that last week, he, okay, he who, he who, Messiah, will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. Okay, this is not Antichrist. This is not Antichrist persecuting Israel in some future temple. with a reinstituted sacrificial system. No way. Sacrifice and grain offerings here in the Old Testament pointed forward to what? The promised one. The one who would end them all. They foreshadowed him. All the ceremonies of the Old Testament were fulfilled in Christ and are now therefore Hebrews tells us, obsolete, obsolete. Messiah causes the sacrifices to cease. The temple is destroyed. They refused to recognize him as the fulfillment. They had 40 years to repent. They did not repent. Jesus judged Jerusalem as it was determined by him. Destroyed. He puts an end to the, to, to the sacrificial system that pointed to him. He's come. He was cut off, redeemed many, provides righteousness for many, atonement. 
He is the one who was anointed to carry out the mission. He fulfilled it. I didn't mean to preach in Sunday school. (laughs) Friends, consider. Consider a future reconstructed temple in Jerusalem. Is that even theologically plausible? No. As soon as Jesus died on the cross, the temple was functionally obsolete. At that moment, that is why when Jesus breathed his last, the temple curtain veil was torn from the top to the bottom. Done. It is finished. God forever ceased to bless that structure, and it is nothing other than Ichabod. The glory has departed. Amen? In the Olivet Discourse, Remember, Jesus was in the temple complex. They said, what about all these buildings? What about this glorious temple? Jesus, on that day, abandoned that temple and that complex, both physically and spiritually. He departed from it, and he went to the Mount of Olives. What happened in the Old Testament? The glory cloud departed from the temple, and it went and sat upon the Mount of Olives. The true temple comes And he abandons that physical temple on that day. Jesus said on that day, your house is left to you desolate. Meaning it has thus ceased to be God's house. Okay. Is it then reasonable to argue that any alleged future rebuilt temple at the close of history could possibly be described as being of God. No. Temple of God? No. With Jesus sitting in it? On a throne in a literal temple? As a political ruler? No. That would be blasphemy. Since his body, that is his church, is the only temple in which God is pleased to ever dwell in again. You. You're the temple of the living God. That's what all the Old Testament structures pointed forward to. Christ, the temple of the living God in human flesh, God incarnate from heaven in a human body, came to redeem what was lost in the first Adam as the last Adam. He's the temple. All who are in him are now the temple of the living God. Look, whether or not any future rebuilt temple by the Jews is ever rebuilt there in Jerusalem would have absolutely zero eschatological and or theological significance whatsoever. Period. Other than, to quote quote Sam Storms, other than to rise up as a stench in the nostrils of Almighty God. A blasphemy against his son. So we must remember that the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ was the beginning of the rebuilding of a latter-day temple with the last three and a half weeks of Daniel's 70th week as a symbolic picture 
that depicts our Lord Jesus Christ's ministry from his ascension until his return. That's the last three and a half weeks. The first three and a half weeks, symbolically speaking, of the 70th week is the destruction of the temple. The second three and a half weeks is from that time until he comes again. It's a time of trouble. Three and a half, time times half and time, 1260 days, a time of trouble. I am John in Revelation chapter one. I am your brother, both in the kingdom and the tribulation, which is now. Newsflash, there's no promise from God that he will ever rapture us out of this world before our tribulations get to bad, as premillennial dispensationalism teaches, unless you have a presupposition about a system that you impose on the text. It's not there. There's a rapture, all right, as I've said a hundred times before, but there's nothing secret about it. It's very loud, and it happens at the second coming. That's the 70th week of Daniel, we believe. Simply read the text, refuse to insert anything in the text, and you'll see the 70th week has arrived. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that I was able to finish this in 45 minutes. Bless this word to your people in Jesus' name. Amen.